Imagine with me. You're walking with Jesus and the disciples along the road, headed out of town again. It's crowded. It's lots of people. You're jostling your way around, along, kind of following Jesus. Probably some animals. Maybe you're smelling some fish, some pita bread baking. There's kids running around, you know, kind of running in circles, playing their games. You're talking. Who knows about what? And this guy runs up out of nowhere. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet in the dirt. Now, he's dressed really nicely there in the dirt. He's got the designer tunic, designer sandals. He's well-groomed. He smells good. This is unusual. In his eyes, there's this eagerness, this expectation, this hope, some desperation. Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What would you say? Well, Jesus says, why do you call me good? What does make Jesus good? What makes me good? Well, Jesus gives the Sunday school answer, rattles off some commandments, throws in an extra one from Deuteronomy. I've done all these. I've done all these. There's got to be more. Please, tell me there's more. And Jesus' eyes change. There's a look of love and there's sadness too. He looks at this guy who hadn't lacked a thing in years. One thing you lack. Go. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The young man freezes. His face falls. His whole body droops. He gets up without a word. He turns. He leaves. And you hear one of the disciples whisper, no one's ever left Jesus sad before. Then Jesus turns and looks at you and says, what about you? What's your body doing now? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What is Jesus asking us for when he asks us that question? What is he asking us to give up? What was, what was he asking this young man to give up? Certainly stuff. That maybe is the thing we think of first. Your house, your lake house, your car, your TV, your smartphone, your Vitamix, your Apple Watch. That is hard enough to imagine. We like our stuff. I like my stuff. But in that question, Jesus isn't just asking you to give up your stuff. He's asking you to give up your status. Think about your peers, the people you kind of think are on your level. Think about the kind of things that give, give you status in our culture and approval. Jesus says, give it all up. Follow me into this new type of community. But let me tell you about this community. 
verse 30, this, these mothers, these, these homes, these children, all the new folks, the community. Well, your housekeeper is there. And the janitor at your kid's school. The homeless guy we pass by on the corner, he's there. The single mom with all her kids, they're there too. And the family we gave coats to last year. Doesn't matter you don't have your stuff, they'll let you borrow their coat. These are your new peers and friends. Sell your stuff. Ditch your status. Follow me here. What's your honest response in your gut, in your heart? Your honest gut response. I can think of at least three, and I have given all three, I think, at various points, even this week. And it's these responses, our gut-level responses to Jesus' flat-out question, sell your stuff, give it to the poor, and follow me. That's what I want us to think about today, that literal question. You might remember last week we talked about another hard passage of marriage and divorce and also not keeping kids from Jesus. And Ken and Jay pointed out this is about hardness of hearts. Jesus is getting to our hearts here. The larger context in this section is about the cost of being a disciple. Deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus is just keeping at it again this week. He's relentless in his efforts to get to the heart of our hearts and to ask us, will you give up your stuff and your status to follow me? So the first honest response I imagine is as simple as, I don't want to. That's me. Honestly, that's where I'm at this week. I don't want to sell all my stuff and give it to the poor. I like it. I get some joy from it, especially in COVID. Come on. My children need this stuff. I don't want to. Is there something else I can give to Jesus instead? It's really tempting for us to water Jesus' words down or deflect from what they really say. Go, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and then come follow me. Why is Jesus so concerned with our stuff and our status that he'd be this blunt to this poor guy? This guy was open. He was a seeker. Couldn't Jesus have just kind of reeled him in a little bit, you know, little by little? But no, he gets to the heart of it. Why is this the cost of disciples, discipleship? I find it interesting, Jesus' list of commands that he gives this young man are, are commands really that deal with neighbor, which is good. This guy had been trying to love his neighbor. That's good. But when Jesus ups the ante, it brings us back to the very first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your stuff, and your strength. And the young man's response shows that he loves something more than God. Our I don't want to response shows the same about us, about me. That's idolatry. There's a big vine in front of my house, in front of our house. We didn't plant. It was there before us. Again, you all know I am not a great gardener. So it doesn't blossom. It just grows. I think it's supposed to blossom. I've never seen it blossom. But the amazing thing to me is every year we cut back this thing, we cut back this thing, and it just grows. It grows. It would wind. I I don't know. How does a plant wind around something circular? Leslie can explain that to me. But it just does. It entangles everything. I'm trying to dig out the weeds, and this vine is just there. How did it get there? Stuff and status are both things that do that in our hearts. We cut them back, they keep coming back. 
cut it back, keep coming back. It attaches itself to us. It entraps our hearts. It grows and grows and grows and pops up where we least expect it. It can root us in place, winding around our legs so that we can't follow Jesus on down the road. And here is a hard truth, (laughs) if it hasn't been hard enough already. Those of us who have more in this world have more to give up to follow Jesus. More to tempt us away from following Jesus sacrificially. And if we're really honest, most of us here would probably be closer to the peer of that rich young ruler than of those fishermen following Jesus. The good news is that when we can be honest about that response and just say to Jesus, I hear you, I don't want to. I think Jesus actually smiles a bit at that because then he can give us his honest response. If you're like me, standing there on the road saying to Jesus, I don't want to. Here's what I think Jesus wants to say to us in that place. I am not trying to deprive you. I want to give you more. A hundredfold more. Not more TVs or more iPhones. You'll have what you need, though. Meaningful friendships. A family that will embrace you even if your given family rejects you. More children and siblings and parents in the faith. Real truth and purpose and belonging and healing. All those deep things that your stuff doesn't quite get to. I'll beat you there. And most of all, Jesus says, you'll have me. And that's really the only thing that will make your life make sense. I don't want to. Silly. I want to give you more. Do we believe that? Maybe there's a step we need to take, even just so God can show us, no, I want to give you more. The second honest response I can imagine is, I don't need to. I'm good. I think there's a couple subcategories here. The first I don't need to response is those who are just comfortable with their lives the way things are. Maybe they don't have that burning desire like this rich young man did. Now, that's not all bad because we're, practiced, we're called to practice contentment, right, and gratitude. But I think there's a difference between practicing contentment and avoiding discomfort. Growth is uncomfortable. Discipleship is too. I think about, you know, my kids who are starting school for the first time, big, big changes. They're, dis- they're uncomfortable, but they're growing. You do some exercises, your muscles are sore. That's growth. It's no accident that the list of perks that Jesus gives for those who follow him includes suffering. You'll get all this stuff and more, plus persecutions. If we're not ever suffering or becoming uncomfortable for the kingdom, we're still holding something back for us. Blessed are the comfortable. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst those who weep, those who are hungry, those experiencing persecutions in my name, they know they need me and I will fill them up. I think the other category of folks in this I don't need to category 
are those who might hear Jesus's words with pride and say, I've done that. I'm good. I sacrificed. I'm given my tithe plus to the building fund. I don't have any extra status to give up. I'm just a normal dude, girl. I'm working harder than most people here anyway. Look, I've given all this for the kingdom. Us church people can be really good at our checklists, can't we? Thinking that, you know, we're good because of the good things we're doing. Devotions, check. Prayer, check. Tithe, check. Food donations, check. Helping my friends move when I don't want to, check. I'm a disciple. I think that's part of what's behind Peter's response. I think it's partly he recognized, oh, we did that. But also partly, hey, we did that. We're set. But here's the thing. We keep writing our checklists, and Jesus keeps ripping them up. His response to Peter is gracious. I see your sacrifice. That will not go in vain. But he also reminds Peter about the persecutions and the suffering he hasn't been willing to do yet. The verses right after this get more into that. I'm going to go to the cross, guys. No, Jesus, no. Jesus knows this. You can still sell everything and give it to the poor and still have it be about you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's no checklist that can get to all of that. One commentator, I like put it this way. Everyone who follows Christ ultimately makes the same sacrifice. For everyone must give up all that they have. And Christ does not reckon the sacrifice as great or small by the amount given, but by the amount withheld for self. I don't need to. Will you suffer with me? And then the third honest response I can imagine. We've had, I don't want to, I don't need to, I can't. I can't do it, Lord. I want to. I'm too scared. I like my stuff too much, and I feel really ashamed that I can't. I feel guilty to even try to look at myself and my attachments. This sermon is making me guilty, and I don't like it. Sometimes I think if I'm afraid that I admit to myself the things I'm afraid to lose, that then God will take them away in order to teach me. So sometimes, I don't know if that's a weird way of thinking. I just don't want to admit it. I can't. It's too much. Maybe you're afraid, like me, that if I give up these things, I'll be undone. I can't. I think this is why the rich young man leaves. He thinks he just can't do it. It is too hard. And I think he's too ashamed to admit it to Jesus even. So he walks away. There's a special kind of grief and despair when you know what you ought to do and just can't do it. This week for my sermon preparation, I did something which I've not done before, and it was exciting because God spoke through me, spoke to me through it. I came in this space. I got out my piece of paper with the scriptures printed out, and I first I read the gospel aloud, which I miss doing. And then I backed up and read Hebrews and heard this. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than the double-edged sword, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I read this passage about the rich young man, and whoo, it does that. 
to me. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we don't have a high priest who can't empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Good news! When we fall down before Jesus saying, I can't, Jesus doesn't condemn us. He looks at us with love. And he says, I have been there. I understand. Take my hand. Get up and follow me. I can't is actually good news. As Jesus says, with humans, you're right. This is impossible. But nothing is impossible for God. You can't, but God can So what are we to do with our honest responses? Maybe you've gotten in touch with some things. You're like, whoa, I didn't know that was there. I don't want to. I don't need to. I can't. Just think for a moment. <laughs> As they used to say in my Baptist church, in the quietness of your own heart, what are the specific things in your heart down there that God is speaking to you about today? Bring them to mind. What are the things you want to hold back for yourself? the things Jesus might want you to surrender, that you say, I don't want to, I don't need to, I can't. Maybe it's stuff, the hold that stuff has on your heart, things you want to keep for yourself rather than share with others. Maybe it's status. You like your job, your title, your class, your race. Those of us who are white often say this, I don't want to, I don't need to, I can't. I don't want to think about that. Think about it not just for us as an individual, but as a community here in Highwood. What's our stuff and our status as Church of the Redeemer? Whatever it is, think about it. Feel it. Feel the fear, the guilt, the shame, the anger. Feel what it would be like to give up those things. And what holds you back? What do we do with those things? Our I don't want to's, I don't need to's, and our I can'ts. We ask boldly. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Or as the message puts it, so let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. We ask. I don't want to. Jesus, help me. I don't need to. Let me show you your need. I can't. My child, ask and you shall receive. As you hold that thing in your mind and in your hearts, that thing you really want to hold on to, as you feel it, as you feel your response to it, imagine with me once again. You're walking through Highwood after church, pumpkin fest. It's noisy. There's probably bands going on. Lots of jack-o'-lanterns. And you see Jesus walking toward you. 
He walks up to you. He holds out his hand. He says, give that thing up and come and follow me. Imagine that you do. Imagine that you do. I wonder what might happen next. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.